Dear Lord, I thank you that we can all be here today. Thank you that we can reconnect again after the summer. And Lord, we're here together to look at your word and for you to speak to us. And please do that this morning. Amen. So yes, it is great to be back again um, and to see a lot of you I haven't seen all summer. One thing I'd say I've noticed since being at Kirkpatrick is we have a lot of baptism services. And you'd think that after being here a while, you might get a little bit bored of them. But in fact, I, I love them every time, especially this morning seeing Connor get baptized, but every time. And it's because of the promises that we make. And Christoph drew our attention to that when we had it up on the slide. We're thinking, that promise, wouldn't that be great if we were able to keep that? See, today, as a church, our promise was to partner with the four families who've had children baptised. We partner in helping them and supporting them bring up their children to know and love God. That's the words that we said. And that's a great partnership to be a part of. We generally view partnership that's as a good thing. Um, more than one group coming together, sharing this common aim, we strive together to achieve that. So it's, it's an honour to be trusted and thought capable to become a partner in a firm. Or marriage, that's a celebrated partnership of two people committing to love and serve each other. And in today's passage, from the end of the book of Romans, we hear about another partnership that I want us to think just as favourably about. So the Apostle Paul, at the moment, he's currently, uh, at the moment of writing this letter, he's a missionary in Greece, and things seem to be going quite well. You see in verse 23, Paul says, there's no more place for me to work in these regions. He's done such a good job. And then that is because in verse 20, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So it was known in Greece, he's now ready to move on. The church has been growing so well, he can now pass that work on to others. And he's got his eyes fixed on this bigger prize, which you might be able to see in verse 24. He's on his way to Spain. Spain, that's a distant country from his home of Israel. It's distant for us even, but all Paul cared about was that there was a lot of people there who hadn't yet heard of Christ. This Roman church that he's writing to, no doubt they would have loved if he'd said, oh, I'm coming to be with you. But Paul's actually got a better aim in mind for them. He's got a better job. That's partnership with him. And it's a twofold partnership he wants this Roman church to be involved in. First, a practical partnership. Paul wants to come to them to be refreshed and to set up and provided so they can help him on his journey to Spain. But secondly, and this is going to be our focus for today, it's a partnership of prayer. Paul wants them to partner in his work, to join with him, to share with it, as they pray. As Christoph said, this summer our series has been entitled Praying with Paul, and we've looked at various sorts of prayers, but I want to say this one this morning is quite different. Whereas before, Paul has been teaching us how to pray better, how to um, you know, pray as a church. This one is very different because this is Paul asking, or actually closer to begging the church, to pray for him specifically, to pray for him in his ministry. When we combine what we see in this letter with what we know from the book of Acts, we get, we get this narrative and we can work out what this real-world example of a praying partnership looks like. And we want to we learn from this real-world example. Um, so our focus is going to be verse 30 to 33, and that's on page 1142. So that's what we're going to be looking at mostly, those three, four verses. 
before we look at those verses, I, I want to say that I realize for everybody, a sermon about partnering in the gospel, about praying more, things like this maybe seem to go over our heads. They maybe seem to be targeted for someone else, somebody, you know, the, the more spiritual, the more religious. But I want to say that, make this really clear. The Bible's message that I'm trying to explain today is an invite for everyone to join in some form of partnership. As we're going to see this morning, Paul explains that a partnership with him in his work was actually an extension of a partnership with Jesus. Um, Partnership, or maybe we prefer the word relationship, is an invite to everybody. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not this morning, or whether you you may feel lapsed or bored, or maybe this summer has been a really great time for you and your faith, and you've seen real growth. I want everyone to hear this invite to partnership this morning. Hear what it contains and consider what they want, what you want to do with this invitation. So let me explain this partnership across four steps. First, with the urgency of a praying partnership. Paul's in a situation where he needs some help. Paul, he's used to adversity and opposition wherever he goes. As he travels around the Mediterranean, he was beaten, imprisoned, stoned, shipwrecked, even more than that. And very often when he did this, the majority opposition came from the Jewish community that didn't believe in Jesus in those cities. Although opposition definitely wasn't limited to them. But it was understandable why they hated Paul. Once the most zealous of all the Jews, but now he's the great Christian apostle, finding churches, writing these letters like Romans that's being passed around. To the Jewish mind, he was spreading this horrendous blasphemy all over the globe. So it was always a risk for Paul when he was going to an area that the Jews there would want to harm him. But surely it now goes beyond a risk when we see where his next location is. You see that in verse 25, Paul's now on his way to Jerusalem. So no wonder he's asking for help. No wonder he's doing it so strongly, seeming so desperate in his plea to the Roman church. So Paul starts in verse 30 by urging the Roman church to partner with him in prayer. We can read over a word like urge and not feel its force, but really this is as strong a plea as Paul can make. I was trying to think how we could express that. If we were trying to communicate something as important as this to a friend, what we would say, you would say, I'm really desperate for you to do this for me. I really need you or I implore you. That's the strength of the phrase. It's a really strong urge. In fact, Paul even goes on to make it stronger by the language he follows with. Because Paul urges by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his love of the Spirit. Again, phrases like that trip off the tongue and we pass over them. But what Paul is saying here is if you know Jesus, if you've experienced any benefits that come from knowing him, being part of a church or community, that love of the Spirit... And I strongly, strongly urge you to join with me. It is really strong. It might even seem quite manipulative by Paul. He's never met these people he's writing to before. Is it right for Paul to appeal to their relationship with Jesus to do something to help him? Even though it does seem forward, I think Paul's logic is right here. If they love Jesus, they're going to love Jesus' work. 
And what Paul was doing was bringing Jesus' work to the world. Therefore, they're going to love Paul and going to want to partner with him. That's because prayers reflect your love and your love of Jesus and his work. I'm going to repeat that sentence. Prayers reflect your love, how much you love, and then your love of Jesus and his work. The first part of that's easier. It's easiest for us to pray for those we love. I know that's the pattern of my own prayers. I want to pray for my my family. I want to pray for my friends. And that's who I pray most fervently for. And I'd say that's the pattern of most people. But the next bit, prayers reflecting our love for Jesus and his work. How does that show itself? Well, if our prayers are always for things that we want, like success, comfort, security, even if those are for things we're praying for other people that we love, praying these things, but then never about Jesus and what his work is, like people coming to follow him in obedience, your kingdom come, or for his work across the world to happen, your will be done. If we don't pray in that pattern, we're going to be shoving, showing a lack of love for Jesus and his work. But if we love Jesus, we'll want his work to advance. His kingdom come, his will be done over and above all of our own interests, even our good interests. And this is going to see us partner in prayer with those who are doing the work to advance God's kingdom and make Jesus known to people who don't know him yet. See, Paul knows what he is appealing to. Duty alone isn't going to drive us to prayer. Guilt won't really do that. Paul knows if he wants to make a lasting lasting difference. He's got to appeal to love. People's hearts have to be stirred to love before they're going to pray. And it is a love for Jesus' work he's trying to show them is the same as partnering with him. This section I've titled The Urgency of a Praying Partnership, but more fundamentally, it's the love of a praying partnership or the loving urgency. That's, that love has to drive that urgency, otherwise it's not going to work. Because urgency, earnestness, and genuine prayer, they're only going to come once their heart is moved. There's a true love that will see Christ's work being done all over the world and and then want to partner with that in prayer. And I want to just draw our minds in Kirkpatrick to what that is for us. What do we see? We see plenty of Christ's work going on in Kirkpatrick. We hear about it plenty. We see the work of our church mission partners. We even use that word partner as well and how they make the gospel known. For example, the Oak Centre making the gospel known to the Clarawood Estate down the road, or for IFES and their work making the gospel known to students in Ireland. But then we also see another category. We see the work of our church members, the people who are sitting beside you this morning, or maybe people you'd meet up with in a discipleship group. You see how they are trying to live for Jesus in their daily life as you know, they start back to school this week, or they're in their jobs, they're in, uh, mixing with family, all these things, we see how they're trying to live for Jesus there. And then for our church staff team as well, for Christoph, Sam, Richie, Edna, Jill, working for the church here to make Jesus known in the community of Ballyhackamore. We need to love all of these people and the work, that these three categories that they're doing for Jesus. And if we love them, 
We'll want to show our love by partnering with them in prayer with this loving urgency. So our second step this morning is the struggle of a praying partnership. In verse 30, Paul urges the Roman Christians to join with him in his struggles. I know quite a few people in Kirkpatrick have been moving house recently, and maybe you've invited people from across the road to join with you in your struggles as you pack your boxes and you move across to your new house. But Paul here is facing um, struggles, that's no doubt. Going to Jerusalem as Jerusalem's number one most hated man, that's a struggle. But how on earth do these Romans join with him in this struggle? Rome is 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. So part of this, is it just a sympathy? We feel sympathy with Paul and we pray sympathetically for him and that's how we struggle. We feel his struggle as we think about it. I think Paul's actually looking at something more forceful than this. He wouldn't be so forceful in his urging if it was something as simple as that. I think Paul is doing it because he's asking for more than that. The struggle they're to join in is the struggle of them praying, them experiencing that struggle. Or the same phrase is translated elsewhere as wrestling with prayer. A bit of a struggle or a bit of a fight. I remember being really relieved once when an older Christian told me this. I I thought it was just me who found prayer a really hard discipline to keep. And if you're someone who struggles with prayer this morning, I hope this can be an encouragement for you too. See, my friend's description was that prayer is like a muscle. It needed trained and developed. When it wasn't used to being uh, to praying much, praying was even a little bit was a difficult task. But with persistence and practice, it develops. Struggling at it actually pays off. Stopping for a while, it does get hard again. It, it's almost like a fitness regime. That's why the missionary Samuel Zwemer said this quote, prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. I think that's, quite, that's a great image. An energetic workout, a struggle, but one that is good for your spiritual health. It's August, so there's been pre-season training for football, for rugby, for other sports as well at the moment. And pre-season training is a horrible thing because everyone's so unfit after the break. But you come as a team And you train together. You do those horrible fitness sessions. But there's that feeling we're all in this together. I'm struggling. You're struggling next to me. We're doing this because it will help each other. We're in this struggle together. It is a struggle. But it's this struggle with this purpose and end goal of this partnership, of this team working together for something greater. And that's how we should think of our prayer. The struggle of this athlete pushing themselves with their teammates for this greater goal. It is a difficult job maintaining this. There are ways and systems that, you know, we can help prayer diaries, prayer lists, things like that. But the heart of the struggle is just us wanting to start praying and give time to this partnership. I find it actually very interesting that Paul recognizes the struggle. You think mega-Christian like Paul, he's not going to have problems. So why does even a mega-Christian like Paul here, why is he even calling it a struggle? Why is it a daily struggle for all of us? Some of the reasons they lie with us, and we've thought about those this summer. Maybe we don't love enough in our hearts, we're forgetful, we're guilty, things like that. That's not what I want to think about this morning. I want to say it's a struggle because we're doing something incredibly significant. 
we're praying that people spiritually will change. We're praying for God to act in a really supernatural way which will make a big impact. For people's attitudes to be changed so that there will be peace. For people's hearts to be changed so they go from hating God to loving God. These are big things on a spiritual level that we're entering into when we pray. The Bible lets us know there is a spiritual battle going on. There are things that oppose this. Things from within ourselves, but things from outside which want to oppose this. It's a struggle because it's something of great significance. In a war, an attack on a great city will face more resistance than the attack on the village on the way on the road because it is something of more significance. But that doesn't put us off because the prize is still big. Don't let it discourage us. In fact, the fact that it's a struggle, let that urge us to push harder at it, to work harder because it is significant. We realize it's this struggle for this team, with the team, the partner, for this really significant end. See, the number one thing our enemy wants us to do is to stop praying. So let's not give up and continue the struggle together. A third step is the specifics of a praying partnership. If you look at verse 31, you'll see Paul gives two specific requests for prayer. The first, that he may be rescued from unbelievers in Judea. And the second, that his service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. The first request, that's obvious given the context we've already described. Paul's a hated man in Jerusalem, a blaspheming betrayer. And he's about to enter the bear pit here, really. The second request is maybe less obvious. Paul, in verse 16, describes himself as the minister to the Gentiles. As such, he actually had little connection with Jerusalem. He spent most of his time working with people who'd never heard of God rather than working with the Jewish people back in Jerusalem. And sometimes he did get into difficulties with the Jerusalem church. The prayer that his service would be acceptable is a prayer that they'd be pleased with what he could do for them how he could serve them, and this money that he talks about bringing them, that that's going to be useful to them in their work as they advance the gospel in Jerusalem. So what we see here with Paul going to Jerusalem, there's pressure in two places. Pressure from within, those saints there, but there's pressure from without and the danger that there was with going to Jerusalem, within and without. And he wanted specific prayer for those two areas. It's maybe quite obvious, but for a partnership to be meaningful in any way, we need to know specifics. We can't be vague. We need to know these general, like, can't rely on general things. A business partnership, you know, it needs constant communication. A marriage partnership, the same. And a good praying partnership is going to communicate all the details so that prayer can be intelligent prayer. And if it doesn't know the details, it seeks to find them out. That's why we encourage discipleship groups here in Kirkpatrick, groups of maybe about 10 to, 10 to 20 people who will come together on a fortnight so that they can find out and pray specifically, pray intelligently with each other, partner with a smaller, more manageable group of people. It's also why we have mission partner updates. Um, sometimes we have them up at the front or we'll have a mission partner from the front of the church It's so that we can pray for these people intelligently for the specifics of what they actually need God to work into. And then remember that third category of partner that I mentioned earlier. That's the ministry team here at church. 
it may be hard actually for you to pray for them specifically. It may seem a bit of a mystery what goes on in the office back there or in, in the church when it's not a Sunday. Well, I'm going to take a leaf from Paul's book here and how he asks for the specific prayer for his ministry and just illustrate that a little bit for our ministry team here. I'm going to take the leaf from the inside and that outside pattern. So pray that they'll be guarded from pressures from outside Kirkpatrick. Pressures outside come in all sorts of forms. So distractions, they could be distracted to focus on other things. The lure of being, you know, acceptable to the community of being you know, admired for other things rather than focusing on the much more unpopular job of speaking the gospel boldly. Temptations, well, ministers are not immune to these. I'm sure we know stories of scandals where ministers have, have fallen. So pray specifically for them in that. And slander, another area Ministers can open themselves to all sorts of public criticism. And grudges can lead to rumors which spread and can really easily damage a church. So we pray that they'll be protected from these things from outside. And then inside, that their service is acceptable. Partly this is that us as a congregation, it's about our attitude that we won't be so critical and we will find the service acceptable. But it is also about the work of the ministry team here prayer for that every day, jobs that they do. Maybe as a suggestion, um, find out who the preachers are each month, who's coming up. Sometimes it's listed in the update, sometimes it doesn't have the names, but if you're able to find the names and make it a habit to pray maybe on a Monday morning or sometime during the week as they're doing their preparation for that, partner with them in their work as they're trying to serve the church, you're joining in in the partnership by praying with them for that. Our fourth step and final step is the privilege of a praying partnership. If Roger Federer came up to me and said, I'm actually thinking of focusing a bit more on my doubles career at the, at the end here. Um, Richard, do you want to be my partner? Well, I'm going to be chuffed to bits at that. I think he's the greatest player. I, just, I think he's amazing. And he wants me to be his partner I'm hugely, hugely honoured at that. That's such a privilege. And for the Roman church, they must be chuffed a bit when they get this letter. Paul, the mega apostle, coming and saying, you guys are my partners in my next key ministry. How exciting. That's just such a privilege and an honour for them. They jump at the chance. They pray hard. They struggle. They pray specifically and intelligently. All these things we've said. They even save up some money for Paul's arrival in Jerusalem. Or Paul's coming arrival to them. But then this news reaches them that Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. It begins to look like that first specific prayer request hasn't been answered. He hasn't been rescued from the unbelievers. It looks like they've got to him. So they keep praying a rescue. That's still possible. That might happen. But instead they hear the news that now Paul is in chains and on his way to trial in front of Caesar. And as inhabitants of Rome, they know what Paul's being sent to here. This glorious partnership that they imagined that I've spent time talking about this morning, well, it hasn't taken long, and it's been a failure. At least it would have been if the partnership was made with Paul alone. If you look at back at verse 18, it was just the verses preceding what we read, 
says, I will not venture to speak, Paul says this, I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. See, Paul's work was Christ's work. It was always Christ working through Paul, whatever he did. So as chuffed as these Roman Christians are to have the mega apostle Paul on their side, actually, they've got a much better deal. They've got Jesus Christ as a partner in this work. So let's push that privilege, that honor. That's just suddenly gone way, way up there. It's just stunning that Jesus should choose to include people at all in his work of letting the whole world know about him. He doesn't have to include us as partners. Jesus could do it all by himself if he wanted to. But that's the relationship he wants with us. He wants us to be partners in sharing with the world all about him. But how does this help with this unanswered prayer, this apparent failure we have here? We see having Jesus as the partner changes everything. Because if prayer is answered no, or answered differently than we imagined, it's because in God's will, there's a better way. If we pray like Jesus taught, your will be done. That's how he taught us to pray. Why be surprised when exactly that happens? Let's look at Paul's example. He prayed that the Romans, that he, and with the Romans, that he'd be kept safe. And looked unanswered when he got arrested. But he wasn't killed, as was his fear, and the fate of many others. And while arrested, he managed to be sent to Rome, all expenses paid by the empire. Okay, he arrived in Rome in different circumstances, all bound in chains. He wouldn't have, wasn't thinking about that. But when we read the book of Philippians, we actually hear about the huge blessing that was. Because Paul went as a prisoner. There was a missionary being sent to the heart of the Roman Empire. He was at the, with the, the Imperial Guard, the Praetorian Guard, right at the centre, close access to all the closest advisors to Caesar. That's who he had access to. And in that book it, of Philippians, it talks about what a huge encouragement that was to the Roman church. The Roman church saw how Paul witnessed and people in the Praetorian Guard were becoming Christians. And then they began to be more bold in their proclamation in that city. And there was an explosion of Christianity in the city of Rome. So, in fact, his coming to Rome was one of joy and encouragement. Just not in the way that was expected, but in a better way. And a better way that could only have been known because Jesus was in charge. We don't know if Paul ever made it to Spain. What we do know is that his time in Rome was well spent as he witnessed to the people there, but also as he wrote many of the books of our Bible while in prison there. See, Jesus' will was done there. And that's what makes a praying partnership so successful. It's that it's a partnership with Jesus. We pray in line with his will, and he acts to bring it about. It may seem a little bit complicated, but the most important thing we need to take away is that we keep praying Because that's the privilege and the honor that's on offer to us. To share in the work of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's exciting to be a part of the work of others. It's exciting to be a part of the work of Jesus. To see this all over the world and know we're doing a really valuable key part of that. Why we're here and partnering in prayer with that. So that's the partnership I'm inviting you to today, this partnership of prayer. But that's just one aspect. 
of this whole partnership, this whole relationship with Jesus that's on offer. It begins with that relationship, trusting him with your whole life. But I hope you've seen this morning that it continues with partnership in working with him towards his aims. That's what Jesus wants, how he wants to relate to us. Whatever stage you're at this morning, this invite is for you. This is invite for you to start or rediscover that relationship and begin on that partnership with Jesus for something of such huge significance. What God wants to do in the world, that's more significant than anything we could ever do. How could anything in life that we try and achieve be more significant than the actions of God that he wants to involve us with? So don't pass up that opportunity to be part of something truly significant and consider this invite to be in greater partnership with Jesus today. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much that you want a partnership with us where you include us in your work. You want us to be praying partners alongside you. And Lord, we just want to pray that we'll understand the urgency of this. You'll move our hearts to love and the love for your work and we'll see the importance of wanting to pray. Lord, we know it's a struggle and we pray that you'll help us in that struggle, that we won't be discouraged by it, but we'll see it's significant and we'll struggle through it. Lord God, I pray that we'll pray intelligently and specifically, that you'll help us to work earnestly in this, to to find out about others and to see others and love them and partner with them. But Lord, I want to thank you most for the privilege it is to be in partnership with you in your work in this world. Lord, that you would even notice us, that you'd even care for us. Lord, it's out of your great love. Lord, we thank you for how you act and we want to join you in this partnership today. In Jesus' name we pray.